0: Did you know that you can experience many of the wines I taste here on the Wine and Chisme podcast? I'm sure you're aware of how important it is to me to highlight wine brands that are owned by those in the Latine community. That is why I created a directory. That's why we host a virtual wine tasting each spring and each fall featuring Latine-owned wine brands based in the U.S. Whether you choose to partake in the tasting or just want to learn something about these vintners, if you enjoy wine, you will love these virtual events. Please visit the wine and podcast.com slash events for more information. Let's support our community and help these small vintners. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday, the Wine and May Wednesday. Hola, hola everybody. Yay. Hi Leticia. How are you? Hi. Good. <laughs> so today I have Leticia Maya with me. Leticia, this is your first podcast ever.
1: Yes, it is. I'm very
0: excited and a little nervous. <laughs> well, that's what the wine is for. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wine always makes everything better. I want to go into your bio and everything, but before we go into the cheese mate and before we go, we got to get to the wine.
1: Sure. So what, do you know what you're drinking today? So I'm big on like bubbly Prosecco. So I'm having a little Prosecco in my little Starbucks cup. Nice, (laughs) nice. I am having some
0: Chardonnay and normally people, like if you, people have listened to me, they know I'm not the biggest Chardonnay fan, but I'm not big on the buttery Chardonnays. There are a lot of Chardonnays that aren't necessarily really buttery, especially if they're not aged in oak barrels. If they're done in steel barrels, they tend to be a little bit more citrusy, a little bit more light and refreshing. Oh. So today I'm having a 2019 Chardonnay by Aldina Vineyards. Uh, Los Carneros is the in Sonoma County is the area that it is. So I haven't had it in a while. So salud enjoy salut ching ching that's the sound effect that we get yes
1: I'm learning I'm learning about wine through you really you yes, are yes I am because um you know my husband my friends are wine drinkers I drank a little bit but I think just I'm a dancer like get me on the dance floor you know so over time, I think as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed like my little glass of wine. And then when you started with their wine and cheese men, you were doing like all these Latinx owner owned vineyards. I was like, wow, OK, so I, I haven't done it yet, but I want to do one of your... Um, tastings where they mail the, you know, sets out to the clients and we do a tasting online. So I'm all with that. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome.
0: Thank you so much. So now that people are kind of, not that it's totally back to normal life, but we're getting there. Mm -hmm. I decided instead of doing it every month, we're going to do it twice a year. So three months in the spring, three months in the fall. So in the spring, it'll be March, April, May that we do tastings Mm -hmm. in the fall. It's September, October, November. So we'll have one for November. Great. And that one is actually, I'm really excited about that one because that's coming from a New York winery. Ooh. There is a Latino-owned winery in Long Island in New York. Yes. RGNY is the winery that we're working with. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited because this one, we're also going to include bubbles. We're going <gasps> to oh. include bubbles in this one because I wanted something special because it's right before the holidays. Yes. So we're going to do a white Merlot. Okay. I didn't know that existed. I know. I'm super. (laughs) This is what I love because, you know, in a different area, you're getting totally different wines. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a white Merlot. I think we're doing a red blend and I think we're doing a sparkling rosé. I think that's what we're doing.
1: All right. I'll have to check it out. Look out for the postings on Instagram.
0: Yes. That will be coming very, very soon, but I'm so excited about this particular tasting because we, like I said, we're including bubbles. We've not included bubbles as part of our Yay. tastings before. and they're from New York because a majority of the Latino wineries are based out of California, like 90 percent of them. Yes. And you have like a little you have one in Texas, you have mm-hmm. one in New York, mm-hmm. you have some in Oregon, and then you have one in Washington. But it's mostly concentrated in California. Yeah. So, you know, if we get these opportunities, I want to jump at them Definitely. And, and share, how are these different types of wines? Like you said, you've never heard of a white Merlot. And I'm like, this is when I love getting completely different wines, right? Mm-hmm. I want us to try Gamay. I want us to try, like, there's so many different, um, a white Bordeaux that I've tasted white Bordeaux. and They're really good. Well, the ones I've tasted. So it's just I love it. And it makes me so excited to hear that that you've learned something because I'm still learning. (laughs) And I want to bring people on the journey with me. So I think I think it's
1: great. I'm definitely looking forward to it.
0: I'm thinking I took another drink. This is very like mm, so that's a little citrusy, a little peachy, a little, oh, it's just so good. It's like perfect. And I just didn't pour myself too too much today because, like I said, I decided that we're doing this on a Saturday, so I decided yes. I'm gonna be a potato today. Yes.
1: <laughs> That's okay.
0: <laughs> well, let me go into your bio so we can get into the cheese made because it was sure. it's real as I was reading it, I was very intrigued and interested. You are the first out of nine children to attend college and earn a graduate degree. Yes. And you grew up in Watts, which we yes, are going to get to because I'm very <laughs> like curious about that. Uh, you're a New York City, City educator with over 15 years of experience looking to change the world one child at a time. Yes. You specialize in teaching, reading intervention, and working with bilingual children. You're passionate about anything about literacy and providing parents with the tools they need to support their children at home. Yes. You have a son. You're married. You have a son, mm-hmm. but you also stated since having your son, you started blogging and writing about everything education and parenting related. You recently transitioned from New York back to California, back to my roots. <laughs> yes, and you're working on uh, you're working towards launching your tutoring business and working at local at a local school. So I love you. Say you're also focusing on the career mom and what does that look like during COVID. You're also focusing on teaching about race and equity to elementary children. I love all of that. I think all of those things are so, so important and need to continue to be spoken about. The first thing I want to talk to is I love hearing about the area, like all of the different areas that people grow up in and how that affects their views of their world and their Latinidad and, you know, kind of everything that goes with that. How Mm -hmm. was it
1: growing up as a Mexican-American
0: in Watts?
1: I know, I know. So I was kind of like in this middle area. Like Watts was right next to us, and we had Compton on the other side. We were kind of like on this border little city, like crossing the train tracks to Southgate, right? So I like mean, Paramount is right there too, right? Paramount's not too far, right? So growing up, my elementary school was great. I went to a really good elementary school where teachers really took an interest in the children, like they were super dedicated. You know, I had friends from all over. They weren't just Mexican. They were African American. Some of them were Caribbean, and so I really kind of had this mix. Of friends and looking back on like my styles and even like my hair, you can definitely see the like urban influence. You know, like the baggy pants and you know my hair is wavy, and so I would definitely like do up the waves and yeah. things do you like remember, that. Remember, like the baggy pants with the belt
0: and then your little crop tops, right? Yes.
1: I have pictures like that. And, you know, I grew up, I'm going to age myself here, but like, I grew up in like the crisscross era and, you know, same, same. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, that was the style back then. I
0: love when people grow up in areas that are really diverse because right. I feel like it completely, everywhere we grow up starts having an effect on their view of the world. Yes. So when you have a view, like people tend to be afraid of the things that They don't know, right? That they Mm -hmm. don't understand. Mm -hmm. So if you're even a Latino community, if you only grow up in a Latino community, don't really hang out with anybody else or you grow up in a very white community or anything else. When you don't have experiences with people from other cultures, it definitely skews your view of the world. Yes, versus having a diverse like I always say, I want to be a citizen of the world. I want to travel. When I do travel, I don't want to just go to the touristy areas. Like show me the real,
1: right? Like the, show real, me the real locals. Yeah. Yes. Show me the locals. I want to do the things the locals do, and I feel like growing up in school, I just I had a lot of different friends and. I was into a lot of different music. My mom was big on cumbia and salsa and merengue. And so that's what I grew up in, in my household. But then at school, it was like hardcore, like hip hop, you know, rap, like two NWA, life probably, yeah. Like now <laughs> I cringe, like, oh my God, I can't even believe the things that, you know, oh that those words mean. I'm almost yeah. like embarrassed because I used to like blast that music. <laughs> no, I agree.
0: I was like a... I love new kids on the block and I love yes. menudo. You yes. know what I mean? That's how yes. I was. I was like, give me both of those. I, you know, who did not, if you knew menudo, how
1: did you not love them, right? They exactly, were just like, exactly. It was very much growing up. And new edition, of course. A new edition, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I want to go back to something you said. When you're like, you grew up in a really, in a, a good school area, were you someone who valued your education as a young child? Or was that something that you grew into? Because I feel like people are either one of two ways, they either, are three ways. You either value it very, very young, mm-hmm. and then you continue that, or you don't really value it. You don't, you're just kind of like, eh, whatever, until you hit a certain point, And then you're like, oh wait, crap. And obviously there's more ways to be. So I apologize for just saying two, but at least most of the people I know are of those two mindsets. Most of the people, my family may not be included. My extended family may not be included in that.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, I think that, I think it's something that I grew up just knowing. I think, you know, my mom had a second, third grade education. She was a migrant farm worker. She worked in the factories as well. And, you know, she came from, you know, her mom did the same. My grandfather was too, but eventually he, you know, he joined the military and is a a World War II veteran. But at a very young age, even though my mom didn't have like the skills or the background, it was like school's really important. Education is really important. And so somewhere along the way, I think that just kind of became ingrained in my head. And so, yes, I grew up in, you know, South Central Watts area. The elementary was one of those elementaries that was, you know, it was a good performing elementary was our local elementary. I did go to a tough middle school in high school. That was the, my middle school and high school were like in Compton, like in the hood, like shootings you know like the whole nine yards but you know I'm very nerdy like I love books I love to learn and I would read with my mom but again like my mom wasn't you know she wasn't very literate in that sense and so um, I would read to her versus her reading to me but she knew enough to know that like hey life has been tough for her she's like learn for me and you know get an education Um, And she knew that education could not only just help me, you know, career wise, but it also opened up a lot of doors for me as far as life experiences, as far as growth, as far as becoming my own person, like individualism. So, um, you know, I think that education played many roles for me. And so... As far back as I can remember, education was pushed. My mom always pushed it. Anything education, she supported one hundred and ten percent.
0: So when you were going into those areas, into Compton for middle school and high school, because that can really have an impact in regards to, yes, you want to study, but if you're going into an unsafe environment, that right. can have an impact on how you learn and how you interact and all of those things. What were your biggest struggles during that time? as you were going through that, through middle school and high school?
1: So struggles, I think, were trying to fit in. I grew up in a big, like, gang-infested area. And I did. I had friends that were part of Florencia 13, Grape Street, Watts. Like, these are really big gangs. And so, you know, I had friends who were like bloods and Crips, But I don't know. It might've been a combination of my mom. She was very strict, like anything school related I was able to do, but I didn't go hang out at my friend's house. I didn't go, you know, hang out at the mall. Like we were home and it wasn't just me. It was like my sisters as well. And so I think that that really played a big role because my mom, even though she worked, she eventually got a job, believe it or not, across the street from our house, and she would come check on us. And so I think there was many reasons that came into play. One being my mom, two being um, my teachers. My teachers were super motivating. I can think of so many teachers as far back as elementary, middle school, high school that fully supported me. Somehow I always ended up like kind of on these honors classes or you know, advanced classes through middle school and high school. And so I really think that helped me. Um, when I entered high school, the assistant director of the USC Upward Bound program came into my classroom and she started talking about the Upward Bound program. And I'd never heard of it. I had no idea, but it sounded fun to me. And so she was like, yeah, we'll help you get into college. I'm like, well, I think I want to go to college. Okay, let's do this. And so I think there are many variables that contributed to my education journey. And so The key was, how was I going to convince my mom? Because Upward Bound required a lot of Saturday classes at USC, it required summer camp at Claremont Pomona. And I wasn't even allowed to go across the street by myself because we didn't live in the best neighborhood. So the director came to my school personally and the assistant director and spoke to my mom. And they were like, this is what's going to happen. This is what this program's about. Here's the day of the orientation. Please come, please bring your daughter and she did it she did we win and she's like okay this sounds good and that was kind of like where everything took off for me because with the Upward Bound program I went to my first performance I saw Phantom of the Opera and here's a kid from Watts who had never gone across the street you know Mm -hmm. they spoke to us about etiquette about how to behave how to dress you know, how to eat properly, like all those things, you know, and not that my mom hadn't, she had as well, but you know, how to like be out in the world. And so I did things like I went to performances. I went to concerts. I spent my summers at Claremont Pomona and I I would do, we would do classes, whatever classes we were taking that fall in in our school, we would start them in the summer. Some of them were AP classes. So they would count towards our fall spring classes at our local high school. And then during the school year, the upper Bound program had a counselor that would go and visit us at the school and make sure we were doing well, make sure we were on track. And it just took off from there. That is a long drive
0: from Watts to Pomona. That is not, it cracks me up that Pomona is like technically LA County, but it's like right on the border of San Bernardino County. Yeah. yeah. Because I have family that lives in Chino, which is right there, Mm -hmm. you know, so it always just cracks me up that it's like L.A. because that's where the L.A. County Fair is in Pomona.
1: (laughs) But it's really like not L.A., L.A. Not at
0: all. It cracks (laughs) me up. I'm like, yeah, that's a really long way. I was part of AVID in high school and... Same idea, right? Yeah, same idea, except everything was done at the school. So it was you instead of having two electives, you would have one elective because Mm -hmm. AVID would become one of your electives. Yes. And we would have tutoring in that class. We would have Mm -hmm. how to take your SATs and PSATs Mm -hmm. and have practice ones all the time and visit colleges. Yes. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with that type of program, except like I said, it wasn't usually out like we didn't have to travel anywhere. Everything was mm-hmm. resourced within the high school itself.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So Upward Bound, um, I think their whole idea was they want to kind of take us out of our environment and show us a different world. So... You know, I think taking us to the Claremont colleges was that because it is a whole other world
0: out there. Well, I think, especially in your particular instance, for sure, right? Because you want kids to see, like we were talking earlier, you can be very much a product of your environment. And Mm -hmm. if you don't see anything else, it's hard to see anything else. It's hard to envision anything else. Mm -hmm. I did not, I grew up in the suburbs of San Diego. Mm -hmm. So it was very, very different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know, but still, there's still limited things that you we even saw at that point but I think that's awesome, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't know, do they still do
1: outward bound programs? I hope they do. I think it's upward bound. Yes. It it still exists. Um, it's still at USC under new like directorship, the assistant director from that program that originally recruited me. I still keep in contact with her and I just saw her recently and it's like time never stopped. Like, I just love her. She was such a big influence. I also like you, I went on college tours with you know, my graduating class, we would do out-of-state trips. So I went to Arizona with them. So I really just started to see this other world and have a different perspective on life and realized that there's another life outside my immediate high school environment at the time.
0: Did you have to keep a certain GPA or any of that to stay in the program or did they, because I know sometimes all of those things can affect if a kid is helping, you're fortunate that your mom was right across the street so she could come and check on you. But how many kids did not have that? right? And they were helping taking care of their siblings. They were doing all of these other things. Their parents worked multiple jobs. So they weren't able to properly, and kids, and I mean, this continues to happen, right? It's hard for them because there's so much pressure in them helping to make sure that everybody's fed everybody's taken care of that right. their studies end up falling behind so what was the
1: how did you know how that worked it with them right so i think with upward bound you had to maintain like a 2 I want to say 2.8 or 2.5 GPA. And there were definitely kids like, so during the summer, we would basically take like a speech class. And so that would come up a lot. Everyone had to do a speech every morning. And so students would talk about struggling to maintain that GPA. They weren't kicked out. They were definitely given a lot of support, tutoring, And, you know, the directors going to the parents' houses, like, you know, there was a lot of effort as far as like the staff from the upper Bound program in my year. I can't think of anyone who was taken out of the program. I think they did everything they could to keep them in there. And some of these kids were in gangs. And so it was really hard because they were torn between these two worlds of like really having the ability and smarts and living this gang life and so it was really hard on some of them and some of them you know managed and pushed themselves through and and others uh, you know chose the gang life and so that was hard on all of us because we we were a group we were the kind of like cohorts and so you know it was hard to see that someone openly was like no this is what I want instead you know but overall, I would say the program was really supportive. It wasn't like you don't have a two point eight, you're out. It wasn't like that, yeah. yeah. And I yeah, hope there. it's still not like that. It does exist. They call them the trio programs. They have like talent search, upward bound. They might, you know, now it's avid, but these programs are still out there. I wonder how much the government is currently funding them under the new shortages. But um, they they're definitely needed. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. I mean- I think I was the one who kind of pushed myself, right? I was one of those kids who I would eat, like, I would get bored. So I needed something like Avid to keep mm-hmm. my interest so I could continue to do stuff. So I, mm-hmm. I was like, I played sports. I was an athlete and I liked, but I also would get really bored. I think that really came out when we moved to, to Albuquerque. Um, okay. And I would ditch a lot. I mean, I have a yearbook full of, it was so nice to see you for one week straight oh. in class. <laughs> so I think when you have those types of programs, they encourage you to to continue to stay involved and to be engaged. And, you know, th- they're very much needed. When you right. When you decided to go to college, did you stay in California? Did you leave? Like, because obviously- Taking these trips expands your mind of where you could go and what you
1: could do. Where did you decide to um, go to college? Part of being in the Upward Bound program, they basically tell you, like, don't pigeonhole yourself. Don't just apply to one college. Apply to 10. Because, you know, they have the resources. So, you know, to pay for the application and all that, like, we would get waivers. So they're like, apply to as many as you can. So I applied to about 9, 10 colleges. In California and outside California. And I was accepted to about seven. Then I had to decide. Now, my first choice was the Claremont College's Pomona College. And they was didn't... Claremont McKenna? Is
0: that what it is?
1: Pomona College. Okay. And they didn't accept me. And then the other one was Stanford. And I didn't get in there either. So then we had some other privates. And then we had UCs and Cal State. So what I did is I did a few... Privates, a few Cal States, a few UC. So, you know, across the board. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it was between UC Riverside and UC Irvine. And the assistant director of Upper Bound was like, we're going to go see them. We're going to go check out these campuses. And I really wanted to go to UC Irvine, but I think I was short on my financial aid. And UC Riverside offered me like some grants. And I had also been awarded like an academic scholarship, like a partial scholarship. So I ended up at UC Riverside. Nice. Yeah. I used to
0: work close to UCI and that's a, actually, and I've toured it. Oh my gosh. That campus is beautiful. It is, right? Oh yeah. It's it's a beautiful campus. Yes. I recently went to the USD campus and I don't think I had, I don't know if we ever toured it or not. I'm sure I did in high school, but I don't Mm -hmm. remember, but man, that is like, ugh. Such yeah. a gorgeous, gorgeous yes. campus. I'm like, they can are. I just come work here?
1: Yeah, <laughs> they are. They're beautiful campuses. So I ended up at UC Riverside and my decision was based on finance, of course, but also I knew enough that I knew, I really loved the small college experience because I had had this experience at Pomona College. So UC Riverside at the time was the smallest of the UCs. And so I felt like this was a really good fit for me because it was far away where I could live away from home, but close enough that I could go home very often. Yeah. So I felt like it was a good stepping stone for me.
0: Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and Cheese Minute. Let me hint that if you haven't heard, I am here to share with you. The Wine and Cheesement Podcast has launched the very first Latine-owned wine brand directory ever. Just go to the thewineandcheesementpodcast.com, then go to Wine Brand Directory. There, you will be greeted by me. But more importantly, you will be able to choose a winery first by region, then by county, and the wineries in that area will not only be listed, but you can connect directly to them from this site. It couldn't be easier than that, right? Use this directory to plan your own wine adventure or learn about some of these Latine vintners or share it with a friend and have them buy some Latine wine as well. Something like this has ever been available. So go use it and support our community. So how did you decide That education is where you wanted to go into, put your hat on, right? That you wanted to throw your hat in the education ring. Did you, like, was that something you just said? Because I feel like some people decide that very, very early and some people it just finds them.
1: Right. I had no idea. I, you know, I had a lot of great mentors, not only through Upward Bound, but also my high school teachers, they were like, you can be anything. So I was like, well, I want to be a lawyer then. So I had lawyer, right? I'm going to be a lawyer for a long time. I went in as an English major and I was like, well, I'm going to go to law school. Like that's what I'm going to do. But somehow I ended up working with kids, like every job. I had a few on-campus office jobs, but I kept working with kids. It just so happened. And I really liked it. And so it started picking my curiosity, like Maybe I can work in education like there's so much I can do inside and outside of the classroom. I can be an administrator like maybe this is the route I want to go. And so I kept my English major and I minored in Spanish literature and I just kept going with it. But I didn't declare a major until my junior year. And so up until then I had no idea, you know, I hear kids say all the time, Well, you know, I don't want to go to college because I don't know what I want to do. And it's like, you're not supposed to, you're supposed to figure it out in college. Totally. So, and I think right? you put this pressure on kids, right? What do you want to
0: be when you grow up? Yeah. What do you want to be? And, you know, when my cousin graduated college a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and we were asking, she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, that's okay. Like it's okay. And she was an English major. Right. But she was like, I don't know because everybody was like, oh, with an English major, are you going to be a teacher? That's the first thing yes. everybody asked. So, and she's like, no, I don't want to be a teacher. She's so little. Yes. She would look like one of the students anyways. <laughs> like she could pass for freaking being in middle school still. <laughs> but yeah, I think we put like so much pressure in regards to what you want to be. What What do you want to be? What do you want to be? Right. Instead of just saying like, let it find you, find what you're, you know, because I think so many of us, oftentimes find jobs just for the sake of having a job. And it's not something that we're necessarily passionate about. And I don't say, and I don't mean to say like you have to be passionate about everything, Mm -hmm. but you want to
1: like your job. You want to enjoy your job at the very least. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It, It exactly started from there. So I... I worked as a mentor. I worked as a tutor. I taught for one year before I went to grad school. So, you know, I was, I thought, I think this is it. I think I want to do something in the realm of education. That's how it started for me. So my last, you know, year and a half, two years, I focused on education and everything education. I think that's
0: awesome that you were able to figure that out. Because like you said, instead of just only having one thing in your head and you're like, oh wait, maybe, maybe I should be looking at this. So how was your education path? Because I know you spent 15 years as part of the New York City education system. Mm -hmm. Did you go through a traditional teacher to administrator path or did you decide you really wanted to go into administration? And how did you go from Riverside to New York City? Because that's a big, I mean, that's a I don't think people understand, like, even though she grew up in Watts. Right. Talk about culture shock, going from Ross, <laughs> Watts to Riverside to New York <laughs> City. How the heck yes. does that happen?
1: Yes, I know. Okay, so I'll tell you how it happened. So there was a friend of mine, a friend I had at the time at UC Riverside, and we were graduating at the same time. And we literally went to the books, to the to the student library. And, you know, at the time you go and you research the top colleges, whatever, in, you know, the bookshelf. And so we went and grabbed the book and it was like, what is it? U.S. News, Top Colleges, whatever. And we started flipping through and we're like, what graduate school do we want to go to? Do we want to go local? So kind of started off with like a friend that I knew at the time. And then we're like, let's go to the top education school. Let's see what happens. Like, why not? so fast forward i decided to take a gap year and she went ahead and i took a gap year and i worked and just kind of like you know taking a breather and i applied to teachers college and i was also applying to like pomona college has a great education program so i was like i'm gonna get into pomona graduate now they're gonna take me and i applied to zoos pacific so i was applying locally but I I did early admission at Teachers College and they accepted me. And so I wasn't even done with the other applications. And I was like, I'm not even finishing, like I'm going. So Teachers College is in New York? Teachers College, right. It's part of Columbia University. Okay, okay. So, so right. So I applied to Columbia. And so um, once they accepted me, it wasn't even like a hesitation. It was like, I'm going, this is it, you know? I'm sure you have this experience as much as your mom tells you like, go out, spread your wings, expose yourself. But then once you do it, like, how dare you? Why are you leaving me? (laughs) Exactly. Like, how dare you live your life?
0: No, that's so funny because for, there was a moment in time, there was like almost two years where none of us lived in California. I'm the oldest of three. Okay. And I was living in Texas. My middle sister and her husband and the kids live in Oregon, and then my youngest sister went to an accelerated program for nursing in Oklahoma City. Which oh, we were, that made that, which was cool for me because we were only like three hours away. Yes, and, but that program was like twenty months, and so I remember my mom calling. You know, I was talking to my mom on the phone one day, and she's like, "You guys have all left me. It's just me <laughs> and your dad here with Uncle Paul and blah blah blah." And, I had to tell her that's a good thing, mom, like think about it. You have raised three strong women that we feel like we can leave that. We don't have to be so close all the time that you have left, but totally like that whole you be independent, be this, be that, but you left
1: me. Yes. (laughs) Like, how dare you? You know, she never quite directly said it, of course, but you know, you get the vibe of like, yeah what, you know, why do you, you know, it was a little bit discouraging. It was kind of like, what, why do you have to get an education there? You can get the same education. You know, I thought you wanted to go to Pomona College. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in New York. I applied to Teachers College at Columbia University. And I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, this is a chance of a lifetime, right? Like, you're only in your 20s once. And like, this is it. <laughs>
0: So how was that? Was that just complete? Like when you moved, because obviously you loved it because you've lived there for a long time. Right. And I think I haven't visited in so long and I do love New York. I am wimpy though, girl. <laughs> I am a wimpy San Yagen and I cannot <laughs> handle that cold. Like literally that would always be the thing that would prevent me from moving to New York or Chicago. Like I love these cities. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm wimpy. I'm a wimpy San Diegan and I can't handle that cold. Like I know, just girl. that
1: whole thing? I know. I've never gotten over the winters to this day. Like I hate everybody who knows me in New York. I don't go out in the winter. Don't ask me to go out. Don't ask me to meet up and have dinner. Like no, because it's it's like you know you're like Pillsbury Dollboy, you know you're like in your boots and your big puffy coat and you're ha- yeah. like there's not you're not looking cute. You're just like walking like this in the you know in the snow in the blizzard. So do you remember the little kid in um, a Christmas story, the little yes. brother? Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So when I first got accepted, I was super excited. And I thought this is an amazing opportunity. But then as it got nearer, I did start, I was scared. I was definitely scared. I can't say I wasn't. My mom had a lot of talks with me. I cried with her a lot and I appreciate that 110% because she never discouraged me from going. It was more like, this is your opportunity. Take it, you know? And, you know, there were many reasons why I didn't go. It was fear of the unknown, being by myself. My mom didn't know at the time, but I didn't have housing. And so I had nowhere to live. And so I had, you know, maybe $3,000 in my bank account and, had no idea because I was on like hundred and something waiting list. Um, and I was dating someone at the the time. And so I think I felt bad for leaving, but he was like, no, you should go like, this is amazing. And you know, he was a great guy. So I think that. Good. Cause if he didn't, I'm like red flag, red flag, red flag. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was wonderful. And he, you know, he was also on his path, career path as well. Um, and so I think that. It was hard for him, but he also understood and thought, no, like you have to do this. So, so I did, I made it there and I actually contacted that person that I knew from undergrad and I stayed in, she she was living in the dorms and I stayed on her dorm floor on a mattress for two weeks. I was literally knocking on the housing department's door every day. Is there a dorm available? Is there a dorm available? And the secretary of like the housing director, I think she felt empathy for me and she somehow moved me up the list. And two weeks later, I had a dorm. Oh my God. Yes. I had no idea what I was going to do because back then you don't have Craigslist. So I was literally going through the local paper. Like, where am I going to live? Is it going to be roach infested? Like, what is the deal? Yeah. So it was first times for everything. I definitely was nervous. I cried the entire flight to New York, the entire flight. And this nice man was next to me and he was like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's thank you to that nice man. If he's listening. <laughs> But fast forward, once I was there, you know, it's been such an amazing experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You're right. It's hard. It's cold. But I learned so much, not only in school, but about myself. I learned about who I am as a person. Who do I want to be? What's important to me, you know? And so... Sometimes when we're in our circle of family or, you know, comfort or friends, you know this, you've moved away. Like when you move away, you really have to kind of sit with who you are and the person you want to become. And you really have to see the good and the not so good that you need to change, yes. right? Oh my gosh, absolutely.
0: I always say like, I I grew up in San Diego, but I became an adult when I lived in Dallas because I was in Texas exactly. for 15 years. Yes. And so... When you're not with your family, and I you know, I would honestly, and tell me if you agree, I would honestly encourage anybody to move truly away from your family for a time being, not even driving distance, but like fully getting away because I think that you learn so much about yourself when you're completely out of the environment of your family. Yes. And not to say that your family is good or bad, but just- to learn about yourself and who yes. you really are outside of who you've always been within your family.
1: Exactly. I agree. 110%. I joke with my husband that um, our son can live with us until he's 40, but I'm totally joking. Like, you know, of course I <laughs> want, like, if you're listening to this, I'm kidding. Don't <laughs> until you're 40. I'm, I'm kidding. But um, I agree. I think, especially as a Latina, we need to motivate our Latina nieces and nephews, our cousins, you know, the ones looking up to us, move away. Don't be scared. Have a plan. I didn't quite have a plan, but it worked out. So I'm not saying take big risks, but there's something about living on your own. And there's something about living in another place where like you realize life has been going on and it's been going on without you. And now you're a part of it. And you can either embrace it and love it and grow from it, or you can sit there and cry about it. You know what I mean? And I mean, if you need to cry, cry, but you have to figure it out because
0: feeling sorry for yourself is never going to get you anywhere. Right. Right. Because I mean, believe me, I have been through a lot. I've gone through depression, like literal, legit clinical depression. I've gone through depression. I have felt sorry for myself. I've And I've grown from that, but at the same time, it's like when you're stuck in that moment and you're not getting any help and you're not trying to help yourself, because even if you're in clinical depression, you need help. And if you're not willing to get help, you can never move forward and never heal and never be the person that you are supposed to be.
1: I agree. I agree. The help is there. And we're at a point where like for you and I, like we have the resources So use them, like reach out. And so when I was in New York, it it was just such a growing experience for me. I surrounded myself with a wonderful support system. And I, till this day, I'm still in contact with everyone that I was close to, to some degree or another. And, you know, you create a family away from your family, right? Yeah. They don't replace them, but they do become family in the sense of, having shared experiences, you know, I was one Brown person in the classroom every now and then maybe I was one of two Brown people in my classroom. So believe me, I knew every Latino in that school. Wow. <laughs> so
0: once you graduate, you obviously work within the New York school system. Yes. What was the role that you took during your 15 years? I mean, I'm sure it transitioned. I'm sure you've yes. moved up. I'm sure you've learned. But what was that transition within your time in the New York school system? And what were the things looking back on your education versus now helping facilitate the education of kids in a different state? What
1: were the things that you like you noticeably saw between the two? Okay, so I started off working, I knew I wanted to work in the public school system. So I did. I started my first job was in the Bronx. It was in a tough area. And I saw similarities in the sense of my own upbringing and kids struggling with gangs out there. You have Latin Kings. And so, you know, these are kids whose parents are a part of this, you know, organization. So I think I related to the kids in the sense of coming from a working class background, wanting to do well and how to stay out of you know, getting into trouble. And the fact that I spoke Spanish when I started working in the public school system for a while, I was a dual language teacher. But when I first started, I, you know, I started off in a fourth grade monolingual classroom, but I used the language to my advantage because I knew a lot of them spoke Spanish. They came from like You know, Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic and Panama and other Spanish speaking countries. So I would talk to the kids in Spanish and I would do extra things with them. So I would go beyond the curriculum, right? I wasn't sitting there just like reciting, reading, writing math to them. Like I was doing hands on experiences with them and they loved it. Um, And they were tough. There were definitely some tough kids. But overall, I think I listened and I think I understood and I think I, Some of the parents, like some of the staff, they were afraid of those parents from past experiences, but I was able to reach out to those parents and have a good rapport with those parents because I wasn't like talking at them. I was like talking with them, you know, and like relating to them and talking to them in Spanish and, you know, telling them, listen, your child is wonderful at this. Let's, let's really work on this as opposed to like, they're not
0: not coming from a defensive place. Otherwise, like they're probably otherwise like, what are you trying to tell me or whatever? And now they're like, oh wait, we have somebody who understands us and we can actually have a conversation.
1: Exactly. And so I think that I offered a different perspective and just a different experience for not only the children, but the parents as well. You know, I worked in that school for a while, but I knew that I wanted to do more. I really wanted to dig deeper into bilingual education slash dual language programs and use my Spanish. That's where I spend the majority of my training was in a dual language classroom it was a public school, but it was a mix. It was a mix of like middle, upper class families. But you also had like families that had been in the neighborhood for a long time and, you know, it inher- inherited the apartment or taking it over or whatever. And so you kind of had this mix of working class families along with middle, upper class families that were kind of like gentrifying these neighborhoods, right? I loved it. I, I loved all my experiences. And they always say as a teacher that, Oh, teaching's so easy. You know, you get the summers off, you get all those holidays. Um, No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so anyone who knows anything about teaching will know that we spend, there's a lot of behind the scenes that people don't know about. You know, we spend our summers researching and planning and kind of getting supplies and putting things together. And we pack and unpack classrooms every single school year. So imagine moving every year because that's what teachers do. I feel like I just had a broad range of experiences. And so I taught dual language for about seven years, six, seven years. And then I said, you know what, you know, as a teacher, you need to keep reinventing yourself because sometimes you can just, you're kind of doing the same thing over and over for some, it's great. But for me, I just felt like I needed more. So I went into the speech therapy program at Teachers College, Columbia, and I completed about a year, year and a half. Um, But I had to take a break for many reasons, for personal reasons, but also like financially, it just wasn't sustainable for me to, you know, I didn't want to keep getting in debt and getting loans. And so I was like, I'm going to take, you know, some time off and I'll, I'll come back. But in that year, I learned so much about like speech and speech development and what happens. And so I ended up at a charter and my supervisor there again, another wonderful person. um, She had me trained in what's called the Orton Gillingham program. And anyone who knows Orton Gillingham, like it's a research-based program. It's very successful. And so it all tied in into, you want to go back to my major, it all tied back to linguistics that I learned in college. And so it was like me coming full circle and getting trained in this methodology So that's what kind of springboarded my reading intervention experience.
0: So I want to talk about that. And I want to fast forward a little bit because obviously the last almost two years, guys, isn't that crazy? Yes. Yes. Almost the last two years, we've been in this very funky thing because kids had to stop going to school. Mm -hmm. Um, Some, and then there's been, and I don't want this to turn into like a political thing. I just want to state like facts and then get... And then ask like how parents can straddle that, right? Mm-hmm. You recently moved back to California from New York. There's mm-hmm. been this, this pandemic that is continuing even though, you know, kids are back in school. But kids are straddling that line of yes. masks, no masks. Yes. Being in school or not being in school because they haven't been vaccinated. Right. Okay. You're doing this reading intervention, but then you also want to help parents create continuity with their kids during this still very precarious time. hmm how do you move forward with that? How do parents, without feeling guilty with what they're doing, because I feel like I'm not a parent, but I feel like there's always, I have a lot of friends who are, and I always feel like there's this parental guilt. Like they're not ever doing enough, especially right now. And I want to also say, I think a lot of parents realize how much teachers actually do yes. when they had to be the teacher Yes, oh. snap, snap. <laughs> yes. So how do you work the reading <clears throat> intervention in particular, in with what is happening now and how do parents create continuity for their kids during, like I said, this still very precarious time?
1: Well, I think that since COVID, we have to look at supporting our children in a different way now. I think that things are different. And I think that now more than ever, parents and educators, we need to be very connected. You know, like the saying goes, it takes a a tribe, you know, to, to raise, a, a little one and I think parents need to have that consistent connection now with the teacher where as opposed to before depending on the parent some parents maybe chose to be very hands-off but now you can't you need to really be asking questions and involved and asking like how can you support your children whether it's reading every day whether it's listening to you know there's Spotify has a whole collection of like children's podcasts. That's all language and literacy. They're wonderful stories. And so we need to think about how to expose our children to language and literacy in different ways because of the pandemic. Before, you might take them to a music class or, you know, they're hanging out with the tías or whatever the case may be. But now because of the pandemic, like we can't always do that. And so how do we support our children? Continue with books. Again, Spotify has that podcast for children, Spanish or English radio, like all of those provide opportunities for children to develop their literacy slash language skills. I think it's almost like
0: a throwback to when we grew up, right? Yes, Your parents having to to be involved in everything. And then there became this very... Weird time, and I don't know if it's still, I'm sure it does still happen, and I hope it doesn't. Where if the teacher would call the parent, like if my teacher called my parent, my parents would <laughs> not believe me, right? <laughs> they would ask what happened, right? Yes, but they knew me well enough to know what they're not going to automatically be like, Jay wouldn't do that, not our <laughs> Jay. They'd be like, What did you do, <laughs> right? And I feel like kind of parents got a little bit of that during the pandemic, yes. when they're like oh shit, maybe my child isn't the most
1: perfect angel ever that walked this earth. (laughs) Yes, yes. You really get a different perspective because listen, teachers are with children six to eight hours during the day, depending on the school day. And their most energetic
0: part of the day.
1: Yes. And so what parents are seeing is like, yeah, welcome to my world. This is what happened. What do you think happens at school when they're like, my child's not staying still. They're jumping around and they're doing like, yeah. That's exactly what they do at school. And so, you know, for me when I was going through the whole Zoom experience and online experience um, you know, I would tell parents, "Listen, cuz you're you're teaching and being your son's teacher at the same time, right?"
0: Yes. Yes. Teachers, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you
1: guys. Please. So, um, I would tell parents, "Listen, If your child needs to do jumping jacks and listen, let them do jumping jacks. If they need to bounce on a bouncy ball, let them bounce. If they need to lay on the floor and listen to the teacher, let them lay on the floor. Kids listen in different ways. It's not just like sitting at a desk, staring at the teacher, like... That's so antiquated. There's so, you know, there's a whole research behind alternative seating and and different types of learning. And we don't have to have our kids, you know, sitting still and staring into your eyes. Like that doesn't mean they're paying attention. They could be zoned out and staring at you.
0: Yeah. I know one of the things that you were saying was that you wanted to share your experience as a career mom and how -hmm. you do or really don't do it all, right? (laughs) Like I said, I think there comes a lot of guilt with parents and all of these things that happen. So, and I hate this. I don't, so I'm not going to ask it in this way. Cause I think when you say, how do you balance it all?" Because you don't. Right. How do you work through all of the things that you have to do and maintain your sanity or do you not maintain your sanity?
1: <laughs> right. And I think it's a little bit of both. I think the message I want to put out there is that moms, like we're not alone. Like so many of us are going through the same thing. And it's so important to connect with your local moms, whether it's your vecina, la prima, whoever you feel comfortable with, like, don't do it alone. And if you have a tough day and believe me, we've all had those tough days, kids or no kids, it's okay. And that's so hard because it's easier said than done. Like when, you know, with kids, like, As moms, we put so much pressure on ourselves and we're trying to maintain this career and we're trying to be, you know, the 110% mom. And sometimes like something's going to fall through the cracks, right? And so I really think that it's okay to kind of step back and say, and this is something that I've learned through the pandemic. It's really okay to say, you know what, I've reached my limit today. I need some quiet time. I need a moment just kind of step back from it all or say like, Hey, I need the support. Whether you reach out to a friend, a spouse, a sibling, a parent, whoever, like ask for the help that's needed. I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned through this pandemic of being like a career mom is that you don't have to do it alone and get the support that you need and whatever that looks like for you. Maybe if it's 30 minutes of your child watching TV so you can sit and breathe and have your cafecito, do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm
0: only, I'm a dog mom and my dog is laying right (laughs) here next to me because well, I told you right before, like I don't have to deal with those problems. And when I leave, I can put them in a crate. You can't do that with a kid.
1: Right, (laughs) exactly. I was listening to the podcast the other day. um, You had one about kind of like, I don't remember the exact title, but it it was about like taking care of yourself first, self-love, And so it really resonated with me because again, going back to your question, like as career moms, like we really have to take care of ourselves and love ourselves first in whatever form that looks like, right? You know, in, in order to be there for our children and our children need to see that we're not always Wonder Woman. But also they learn
0: how to take care of themselves by the way they see it. So children's first, you know, With relationships on how to love and how to love themselves and how to love others and how they should be loved, they all absorb that from what they see around them. Exactly. And whether they're able to work through that, you know, whether good or bad, they're able to use that as an example or use that as that's not the antithesis of what they want. They're still observing it and they're still learning about those things. So, Like you said, if you don't love yourself first, what are you teaching your child? You're teaching, you're not showing your child you need to love yourself first. Because if you can't love yourself first, it's very hard to love anybody else. If you don't feel yourself first, it's hard to be able to let it flow
1: to other things. Exactly. Exactly. So take the time to do yoga or meditate or journal, take a walk. And so, you know, I wish I had like this great, you know, formula for making, making it all balanced. But I really think this whole idea around, you know, people asking you, what's your work-life balance? What's the secret? It's like, can we stop talking about it? Because that doesn't exist. Let's just be real. And like, let's, let's put a new title to it. Let's put a new twist to it. And I think as women, we need to move away from that and not be so hard on ourselves. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. I can't believe
0: it's already been an hour. Oh I know my gosh, this has flown by. <laughs> I want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to add that maybe I haven't asked, or maybe that we just haven't touched on. I want to give you the opportunity to add that now.
1: Sure. So as I talked about before, like I really started f- focusing on like reading intervention and show. So now I really have honed in on the whole idea of working with kids with various reading disabilities. I think it's so important to help children and recognize when these disabilities exist. And so I've really have taken like, this has become like my new passion. And so recently I launched my own little business of working with kids um, that have various reading disabilities. And And kids will kind of
0: share that, right? Oftentimes I've seen Mm -hmm. where parents don't necessarily listen to their kids when like, I can't read it or I can't, because they don't know necessarily how to vocalize. The words are inverted or this or that, or I don't like, so we have, when kids tell us those things, we have to take those things seriously and ask questions. Am I correct? And being able to say, okay, are they being lazy or
1: are they, is there really something here? How can a parent tell the difference? that that's a really good point Jessica I hear that a lot oh they're just lazy I think they can really do it and so you know before we label our children and say hey they're being lazy or they could do better or they can try harder why do you always confuse these two words what do you imagine in your head so all of these questions just give you more information so with
0: your reading intervention program is that something that people can access online as well
1: Yes. So right now I have my blog still, and I have my Instagram page. I have those two as like my main contact places. And so I've been advertising locally and, you know, through word of mouth. And so I've, I've started launching my tutoring business and, and building my clientele.
0: And you do, can, you can tutor online as well, correct?
1: Yes, I can tutor online as well. Of course, all parents want in person now because they're like, forget that online stuff. But
0: I can't. Maybe there's somebody (laughs) in like Arizona or Nevada or Massachusetts that's like, you know what? I like what I hear and I don't, you know, you just never know. What is your website and your Instagram?
1: So my website is outsideofthesandbox.com and then my Instagram is Leticia underscore Amaya8. And so, so you can find my Instagram handle. Yeah. It'll be Instagram. in the show notes. Everything will be in the show oh, notes great. as well. Okay. Yeah, no, girl. <laughs> we
0: of course put that all in there because we want people to find you and and not have to search everything. We say it, but then it's everything will be in the show notes. So mm-hmm. Leticia, this hour has flown by. (laughs) I know. It's been fun. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. I'm so glad I got to know you a little bit more and got to hear your story and all of the things that you're doing. Welcome back to California.
1: Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Where you don't have to bear those crazy winters girl i can't believe how hot it is here now i'm complaining on the other side it is too warm here in la (laughs) (laughs) well you know in san diego it's always a good
0: seven to ten degrees cooler sometimes even cooler than that
1: oh you have nice weather
0: oh yeah i was actually on the phone with my sister earlier and she lives in portland and with my four nephews her yeah so it gets Mm -hmm. really cold there and they're gonna be here next week my sister my parents are all gonna be in san diego me and my dad are going to celebrate our birthdays together. We've never celebrated our birthdays together, so I'm kind of excited.
1: Happy birthday. Wait, did it Thank pass or it's about
0: to come it's up? It's about to come My birthday is um, Dia de los Muertos, November 2nd. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I've always had a special relationship with Dia de los Muertos. So. Yes. Um, but the... I was like, oh, it's going to get chilly because then during the day, it's going to be like 75. and yes. But in the evenings, it gets in the 60s, like mid, sometimes low 60s. Mm-hmm. And my nephew is in the background going, oh, my God, the Jade, that's not cold. And I'm like, <laughs> I am. And like I was saying you earlier, yes, I'm a wimpy San Diegan. It is cold. <laughs> I don't even know what the, the, whatchamacallit is right now. And I have a hoodie on.
1: Okay, it's it's pretty cool in in LA today.
0: Yeah, it's sixty six here today. So
1: oh, same for us. Yeah, so it's chilly. This is chilly for us. (laughs) This is hitty weather. Funny, (laughs) that's so funny. No, today the weather's nice, but it has been unusually warm here. We're just not quite used to it yet, but one day we will (laughs) be. (laughs) Well,
0: welcome back and. Mi gente, if you want to learn more about Leticia, please go to her blog, go to her Instagram, reach out. And until next time.
1: Thank you so much, Jessica. Till next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things wine and cheesemate on our website, thewineandcheesematepodcast There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at the Wine and on Instagram and at the Wine and Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more wine and cheesemate rate and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even